Great, thank you, Chris. Am I on? Hello. Yep, there we go. Good morning. Great to see you this morning. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, just to extend a warm welcome to you. Uh, again, as Barry's mentioned, there's a welcome meal tomorrow night. We would love to see you there if you've not been before. So do come to find out more about St. Paul's if you feel that would be helpful. Um, it's interesting, this time of year, sometimes you start seeing posters on the tube, um, um, bus stations or billboards that start advertising things for Christmas. Um, I know for many supermarkets they started that sometime in July, but um, it's interesting if you ask about that, that gets people really riled. It's one of the things you can generally get a consensus on. People get really annoyed when they hear about Christmas in July or September or whenever. Anyway, so the posters about Jesus, back on point, um, you can kind of see... They can seem slightly domesticated, can't they? Slightly friendly and cuddly. I'm sure they um, are kind of stable in a, man- or a manger and a kind of Christmas scene in that, that kind of place probably wasn't hugely comfortable. But I don't know for you, what's your picture of what Jesus is like? Have we got a domesticated view of Jesus? Have we got a view of Jesus that is, is tame? For many of you, you may have read or seen the, the, the kind of film, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And, and there's that one lovely quote in there, isn't there, where um, I think it's Mr. Tomnus is talking about Aslan and saying he's, he's great, he's good, but he's not tame. I think this is one of these passages where we see that Jesus is great, but he isn't tame. And how often we try and make him fit in a box. During the worship, I was really struck just again, how often I try and reduce Jesus into a kind of a mate or a friend or just someone that I can relate to better. And, and I think sometimes Jesus takes great delight in my life in reminding me that he's good, but he isn't tame. And maybe this morning as we come to this quite interesting passage, which contains a lot of stuff to kind of unpack, that we need to remember that Jesus is good, he's great, he's loving, but he's not tame. At this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus is heading for Jerusalem. Um, And in Luke chapter 12, the passage we've been looking at over the last few weeks, um, it's a passage about discipleship. It's a passage about God's coming judgment and and kind of to be ready and to be aware of what's happening. You know, it's both an immediate judgment and a future judgment. Um, Luke is certainly talking about and looking towards uh, the time in in around AD 70 when when the Romans finally came and sacked the temple, destroyed it completely. He was looking, talking to a church who was persecuted. You know, Luke was written to uh, Christians who were living under persecution in different parts. Some were to a greater extent than others. So he's looking towards a time of, of crisis and a time of pressure. You know, we might think of it in, this, in these terms. Luke is trying to get the disciples of Jesus that he's writing to, to, to think with the end in mind. That, you know, life can be hard. We can face trial. And, you know, we are mortal people. We aren't going to live forever. And Luke wants to remind us that there's a coming thing, coming things that we need to be aware of. For them, it was the immediate kind of crisis and, and threat of, um, of, of the Roman occupation. We don't know what it might be for us. But I think it is relevant today. So before we turn to the passage, why don't we pray together? Father, help us this morning to see Jesus again afresh. Help us this morning to heed his words and to follow his commands. To know that he comes to uh, comfort the disturbed, but maybe to disturb the comfortable. 
Spirit of God, would you open our eyes to you again? Amen. We arrive to this passage in Luke chapter 12. Jesus is talking to the disciples. Uh, It says in verse 22 that he turns to them. And a little later on, he turns back to the crowd. Um, But I wonder with so often with Jesus is that he always seemed to have a crowd around him. But he would kind of draw the disciples closer. So I think there was probably an ear for the crowd. You know, he was, there were things that the crowd might take on board. So I don't want to rule out that he's just talking to his disciples. So I don't think we're given that completely. Um, a few years ago, I read um, the autobiographies of Steve Redgrave and Matthew Pinson. I just find um, their commitment and dedication incredibly challenging and inspiring. Um, one of the things that both of them in their different books, and both bring a perspe- different perspective to their kind of multi-gold winning kind of achievements, but um, they both distru- describe these, their training regimens, if you like, their kind of, the way they would prepare for a world championship or for an Olympic Games. Um, unbelievably kind of challenging routine. Hours upon hours in the gym every day, sat on rowing machines to monitor their breathing, their heart rate, how they would change pace at different points, long distance endurance stuff, weights, running, training in the freezing cold, Christmas morning, Boxing Day, New Year's Day. There was no let up for bad weather or for illness and all for a six minute, 15 second time that would win them a gold medal. 2,000 metres. Jesus tells us in this passage that we're to be ready. For Steve Redgrave and Matthew Pinson, they had a goal in mind, which was one race, one final, to win one gold medal. And, maybe they, and they would say in their book that for four years, they will be building towards that one thing. Steve Redgrave, five-time gold, winner, a gold medal winner. Because he was well prepared, he was ready. He was ready for when the gun went, he would be the fastest off the line. When the pressure came, he would be the one still going. When the burning in his legs got overwhelming, he wouldn't stop. Six minutes, 15 seconds, that was his aim. He was ready. In in verse 35, Jesus tells his disciples, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. For the disciples at the time, this would be quite recognizable uh, from the Exodus. Um, God said to Moses, get the people ready for Passover. You know, the Lord's going to pass over uh, Egypt and kill the firstborn of every Egyptian. But if the, uh, if the Israelites um, had done what they were told and they'd sacrificed the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost, they would be passed over. Exodus 12:11 says this, this is how you're to eat the Passover lamb. You, with your cloak tucked in your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Jesus is saying, there's something coming. God is coming. He's coming to call you to himself, call you out, if you like. And are you ready? Are you ready to go at a moment's notice? When God's people were in Egypt, they had to be ready to leave at a moment's notice. They'd been waiting years and years, crying out to God for him to deliver them, crying out to God for him to save them. And now the time had come. And if they weren't prepared and ready, they would miss leaving. They would miss what God was doing. Um, And I think here in this passage, Jesus wants to instill in us a sense of urgency. In his disciples, a sense of urgency. The new exodus is about to begin because Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. He's heading uh, to give his life on a cross, to be the Passover lamb, sacrificed for the sins of the world. Jesus is heading. He's got a destiny. He's focused. 
And he wants his disciples to be ready for that time. You know, the results of Jesus' death on the cross, same with the Passover, is that God would forgive our sin. That God would set us free from oppression. And just as for all the Israelites who put their trust in the living God, who smeared the blood of the lamb, Passover lamb, on their doorpost, they will be part of God's people. And just as we who trust in Christ, in what he's done for us, in his death on the cross for us, we're invited to be part of his people, to live in freedom, to free oppression. So in this parable, Jesus describes how the master's gone away for a long party, but that his return is certain. The picture here is of servants up very late at night, in fact, early in the morning, waiting for the return of their boss. And it's pretty certain that they weren't sat around doing nothing. They would be keeping the house clean, running it as it should be, keeping it warm. They would keep the lamps outside lit so that when the master returned, he would find his way to the door. The story indicates something of a hustle and bustle of kind of everyday activity. There was no laziness here. There was no slacking off just because the master wasn't around. Because if the master returns and finds his servants waiting actively, something incredible. Verse 37 tells us that Jesus said, guys, put your feet up. Let me serve you. And we know that Luke here is pointing in some way towards the second coming of Christ. And is he saying something like that? If Jesus comes and finds us serving actively, that he will come just as he did the first time and serve us. Remember, Jesus is good. He's great. And he's loving, but he's not tame. We can't tell him what to do. Sometimes I think we get him wrong. And maybe we need to let the Gospels open our eyes again to who Jesus is. So what might this part of the passage, this first uh, five verses say to us, 30 to 35, uh, 35 to 40? I think firstly we're to be ready and prepared. Um, ready in active, in active service. The picture here is someone with their robes tucked in their belts, back to that Passover image, so they can move quickly. You know, sometimes when we wait, we just sit around and do nothing. In a waiting room, waiting for a train, waiting for a plane, whatever it might be. But Jesus wants us to wait in an active way. We're to continue to do what he's called us to do. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. To love our neighbour as ourselves. He doesn't want to give us warning that he's coming. He wants to see us doing what we should be doing at all times, which is why he calls us to be expectant of his return. You know, every follower of Christ is conscripted into this army of servanthood. We're called to be servants. And maybe we need to ask ourselves today, have we taken ourselves out of service? And how are we looking for opportunities to serve others? The next, the next section, Peter's he's kind of cut in half this passage. Peter asks a question, you know, Lord, surely, who are you talking to? With, I think, the intention, surely not us. Of course, we're ready. We're the in crowd. We're part of your, we're not part of that outer crowd who are here. We're the disciples. We're those you've chosen. We're kind of right with you. And as Jesus often does, he answers a question with a question. Um, he doesn't come to kind of just say, well, yeah, you guys are in. You guys are safe. Take it easy. The, The whole point of it is that Jesus comes to challenge those who think they're okay. He comes to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. The crowds are not the point of the story. I think actually Jesus might even be speaking to Peter and saying, Peter, don't don't get comfortable. Who is the wise and faithful servant, Peter? Is that you? 
Imagine Peter's horror as he hears what Jesus has to say next. I don't think Jesus is saying to Peter that he's out and he's got it all wrong. But I think Jesus wants to keep Peter on his toes. I think he wants to keep us on our toes. We might grow comfortable and think we've got it sorted. We've got this Christian life down to a T. Have we? Remember, Jesus is good, but he's not tame. He comes to challenge. So Jesus goes on to compare this good, responsible servant. He gives really little detail about this responsible servant, other than that he's responsible, other than that he just does what he's supposed to do. He's faithful. It doesn't say that he's dramatic or she does an amazing thing or kind of does great exploits, just that when Jesus comes back, the faithful servant is feeding the servants, making sure stuff's happening, keeping the ship running. But when it comes to the unfaithful servant, Jesus paints a whole different picture. Here is someone who takes an opportunity to serve himself, to abuse others, because he thinks he'll get away with it. He thinks he's got plenty of time. God won't mind. God won't notice. The master won't notice if I do what I want. But you know, Jesus said, he'll, I will, God will know. God will come back. The master will return and catch him in the act. And the results of that for him will be terrible. Stark words. He will be torn to pieces, cast out with the unbelievers, with the faithless. Those who have rejected and turned away from what is good. That's strong words. Imagine how Peter is feeling right at this point. So Peter, who is the faithful servant? Are you the faithful servant? I'd imagine Peter is feeling pretty challenged at this point. Again, so what does this hard passage mean for us today? What can we take from it? Well, verse 48, I think, is really key. It says basically that great gifts, what we've been given, if we've been given much, much is required from us. Great gifts are great responsibilities. Greater gifts mean greater responsibilities. And as that well-known prophet Spider-Man tells us, with great power comes great responsibility. You didn't know Spider-Man was a prophet, did you, until this morning? With great power comes great responsibility. We have been given much. For those who have much, much is required. Friends, that verse alone should challenge us. We're called to be faithful servants who simply do what we've been asked to do. It doesn't need to be dramatic. It doesn't need to be kind of extravagant. We're called to do what Jesus has called us to do, to be faithful to him. We're called to care for the people of God. The responsibilities of the servant is to care for the people of God, care for those in God's family and God's household, make sure they're well fed and looked after. We have a duty of care to those of us in our, in our life groups, in our clusters, in our church congregations. We need to know one another that we might care for one another. But also further afield, Jesus made that really clear. Matthew's Gospel, he says, you know, whatever you did for the least of my brothers and sisters, and again, he's probably pointing to the church family, but I think it includes wider than that. Whatever we do for the least, we do for him. That's what it means to be faithful to God. I think Jesus is wanting to make sure that we don't get comfortable. We keep asking ourselves, are we faithful to what he's calling us to do? And I think it does give a stark reminder to, to those of us in leadership, those of us not just in church leadership, but those of us who have responsibility for caring for others. Are we fulfilling our task that God's given us? Are we caring for our families? Are we caring for our, our neighbours, for those in need? And if we dare, as the wicked servant did, to seek to serve ourselves, to abuse and oppress others, that we might have what we want, I think Jesus is saying we need to be careful because the master will come. He does know. One day, you know, evil and oppression will be brought out and judged for what it is. That's good news for those who are 
oppressed by those who are wicked and evil. But not such great news for those who are doing the oppression. And I think, actually, Jesus invites, he saves the oppressed and the oppressor if they'll only turn to him. But it's a challenge for us. You know, as I was just thinking this morning, one thought came to mind. There are one, a literal kind of thinking around this passage, actually. That there is a wonderful organisation called Stop the Traffic. And many of you, how many of you have heard of Stop the Traffic? Just a quick straw poll. A few of you. It's a, a kind of a, a, a Christian kind of based organisation that look to deal with the issue of slavery today, modern day slavery. The idea that no one in this world should live as a slave. And I just, as I was praying this morning, I got the sense that maybe there were some of us here for whom that idea, you know, we kind of read this parable and we actually, we can really, we have a real heart for those for whom the, the, the wicked servant was oppressing. We have a heart for those who are in slavery today, in this city, in Ealing, right now. We have a heart for that. And I wonder, if that's you this morning, we would love to pray for you and let's journey together, see where the Lord might be taking you in that whole area of ministry. You know, we're called to be faithful with what God has called us to do. And it's amazing what God can do with our little acts of obedience, our day-to-day faithfulness. I want us to watch a quick video clip now. I hope that will come up on the screen. Great. Some of you may have seen it before, but I think it illustrates this point of daily faithfulness quite well. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of... Kim. Yet oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. Now is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. 
Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James. He was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. Jesus expects his disciples to be ready to take responsibility for the life he's called us to live. And you know, most of the time, it's simple faithfulness. It's no histrionics, it's no big deal, it's simple daily faithfulness. To give away what God has given to us, to share with others what God has shared with us. Are we ready for action? Are we ready to serve? Are we prepared for Jesus to use us? Are we following Christ today? Do you know all it takes for evil to succeed is for good men and women to do nothing? Isn't that so true? Isn't that so challenging? (laughs) I certainly find it that way. Can I invite us to stand? I'm going to pray.